Welcome, listeners, to the eighth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me today is co-host and powerful wizard Christopher Wikström. Our beloved friend Robin Svensson is on vacation still, uh, so it's just the two of us again this episode. As always, the warmest welcome possible to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. I hope you've had a marvelous week. Um, I've definitely been kicking it back, watching a lot of games done quick, which has been very nice pastime. Which was the quickest game? Oof. Yeah, I, po- like faster, less than five minutes. Uh, I can't remember for the love of me which one it was, but I, I saw some really crazy and impressive stuff over the week. I did see this one guy playing uh, Super Mario 64 blindfolded in under two hours. Yeah, under two hours as well. It was just crazy. And uh, yeah, that was that was one of the the most uh, crazy things that I saw. I really enjoyed the the uh, one of the runs before, which was a, a, a more of a retro game. It's uh, Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo. Three of the four best players in the world uh, had a race, and it was just so tight. But yeah, so I've had a, a really good week. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Deck tab. In today's episode, we will discuss some Paper Legacy plays sit down with the Basic Land Connoisseur Panel Duo Edition again, look at some cards from the new Magic the Gathering set D&D Adventures in the Forgotten Realms that we are perhaps seeing having a place in our decks, and finally sample a brew from our summer segment The Apothecary of Archmage Christopher. So that's a lot to go through. Uh, let's go, Christopher. What mischief did you engage in during the past week? Yeah, I, I finally got some of the cards that I've been just sitting and waiting for. Uh, I made a really big uh, Modern Horizons 2 order. Um, that, I don't know, it just took uh, it took a time for it to get here. But uh, I got it this Monday and we're recording now uh, Sunday evening. I got most of the cards that I've been wanting to try out. Uh, the first deck that I really wanted to try out that was quite different from both my playstyle and just for the format was the blue-white affinity list. Uh, And the list that I tried out was extremely close to the first week breakout affinity list, rocking those Esper Sentinels, Nettle Cysts, Thought Monitors, you know, you've seen the list by now. And uh, I was just, uh, you know, really happy to get all of these cards home. And those lists have been uh, played, uh, remodeled and just played around with a lot uh, by all of the affinity specialists out there but me not having a lot of affinity experience wanted to try out the the week one version and it, it was just really fun i didn't have that much time to play on the week uh, the the wednesday weekly um, i managed to squeeze in four games and the first uh, match was versus what i believe to be a quite tricky matchup which is the uh, Maverick splashing black for Grist, and it was it was pretty rough. You know, the opponent being really skilled with his deck, playing it a lot, uh, could Green Sun for his oof, and I'm just you know sitting there. How how get out? How do I get out of this? But you know, this deck is busted. You know, even though he had a really turn uh, like super early oof. Uh, one Ursa Saga paired with some, you know, 1-1 one, one Ravagers with Modular and uh, just shump, being able to shump with 1-1 one, one Ballistas, you know, finally playing a 2-2 two, two Stone Coil Serpent that just 
dodges grist, dodges decay, can't be blocked by his insects. Uh, was just super cool and eventually forced him to jump, uh, leading me to unlock all of my mana and just win, win that crazy game. The second match that I tried the affinity deck against is a matchup that I would bet money on is bad for affinity. Yeah, you heard it. Uh, I played against Echo Urza, the Echo Karn deck. And, you know, this is a fever dream of a matchup. Uh, I lost game one as I anticipated. You know, uh, your opponent is playing Hull Breachers into Lead and Echo, and you're sitting there with your Sorcery Speed artifact deck that gets locked out by one Karn, pretty much. Uh, you're just sitting there holding your thumbs that how do I get out of this? And game one, I didn't. I just got crushed. I was just going to say, how do you get out of that? <laughs> Karn seems... I'm on paper, I would agree. I would bet money that this is not a winnable matchup uh, unless they super punt. But... <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, the, uh, I'm just thinking about what, the, what does the affinity deck want to do, Victor? It wants to get on the battlefield. It wants to get out there quickly and just present a lot of threats. And I did, I, I had a hand. Uh, I knew that he was on it because it's it's one of my best friends. We talk a lot. And he was like, I'm gonna try the Echo deck. And I told him, shit, I don't wanna play against you because I'm gonna try this artifact deck, uh, Affinity, and I've never tried it. It's gonna be quite scary. But um, even though he echoed me, I think turn two, I still top decked my absolute best card in that scenario but it was still just a drop in the water in the right direction it was kind of like those boats trying to put out the fire in the ocean like one of those um so yeah that was pretty brutal but game two i actually managed to swing it um, i managed to put down a really early form of amethyst and that card is not all also as good it's it's for sure good in that matchup it, it's a speed bump for a really fast deck. But I was really close losing that as well. Uh, it's it's crazy. The Ursa deck is just very cool. Uh, I remember you and I played against it last... Uh, you, we played that matchup last summer um, when we had a small little chill and legacy play event. And uh, the deck hasn't really evolved that much since, but it's just a powerhouse. I, I don't envy you playing the Ursa deck with a bunch of artifacts. Uh, let's just say I would be glad to bring basically any of my decks and feel that I had a better chance. But yeah, for sure. Like, uh, that deck is, is a lot of fun. And uh, I think where that position has been, that style of deck hasn't really existed outside of Bomberman, uh, the Echo deck. And I'm just happy to see a version of Bomberman, which I really enjoy because I've played a lot of artifact combo decks in my days, Painter, and uh, a brew that I call Slaver, which is a Mind Slaver deck with Welders. I've played a lot of those decks, so just seeing uh, a very efficient artifact combo prison deck is very cool. But yeah, I, I, I managed to uh, find a good reason not to play game free. Um, I had to uh, eat dinner. It was super late. Uh, so I managed to dodge game free, but I was pretty likely going to lose it. So I'll I'll give my opponent the um, the emotional uh, surrender. Uh, one, two. Good job, Ben. 
I mean, legacy is just beautiful. And do you know what else is beautiful? Basic lands. Oof, tell me about it. Yeah, it's time for the basic land connoisseur panel again. And this week, we are talking about the forests of elves. A deck I am unsure of if anyone on this podcast has ever played. Uh, have you ever played elves? I've played some games, uh, but I would not extend... I would not say that I'm an elves player or a comfortable pilot, but you know I I play a, got a lot of green decks and I play I've played against this deck a lot. Yeah, against this we've been crushed by yes. it, uh, quite a few times. We have some really really That's good right. elf specialists in uh, in Stockholm uh, who have gone uh, gone far away and uh, brought home trophies. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that you know I've I've played the deck. But in the latest configuration, uh, with a shepherd and everything, no, I, w- I would not. Uh, how much the deck has evolved, especially, I would not say that I've played played elves. But having said that, I would say I am still in a very well put position to recommend people who want to pick up elves on which lands they should pick up. I'm going to go first tonight because I have uh, two really nice forests to show us. Firstly, we go back to Onslaught uh, and look at forest number 349. And this is uh, painted by the perhaps most famous basic land artists of them all, John Avon. Uh, and this is a kind of darkish forest, quite dense, uh, not too much foliage, but dense in the trees are sort of s- sitting close together in this forest. Uh, and you're looking at... Uh, sort of into the forest there is this really strong red orangey and in the center white very strong light that shines towards you you don't know what that is but i'm thinking it is the crown of an elvish queen or uh, some powerful you know foresty elvish ritual going on uh, at the same time, it's also really alluring. Like, you really want to go and sort of go closer. But then again, do you want to? Do you dare to? The elves are kind of scary, I think. So that's my first one. Onslaught, number 349. My second choice is newer. It's from Kaladesh uh, by Christine Choi. Uh, first, uh, card number 242. Uh, this is uh, this is less suggestive than my, my other choice. I mean, this forest has architecture basically trees growing into arches uh, that lead somewhere uh, and it seems to be that you're entering an elvish an elven city or an elven dwelling or even perhaps an elven castle uh, hiding among these trees Uh, so i think both these both these forests really scream elves to me this is where elves live and elves dwell i like that type of sort of high fantasy intimidating elf not friendly like this this is the lothlorian haldir you come into my land i'm gonna point my bow at you rest in peace haldir rest in peace oh my god worst worst fantasy film death ever <laughs> yeah that's a uh, it's not great um but yeah i i really enjoy these and uh, i think the onslaught one that you talked about the the trees are almost threatening symmetrical because it it looks you know it's out in the wild but it has this almost cubic symmetry to it it looks like it's uh, by choice it's very you know it looks like a hallway like you mentioned the the strong light in the middle 
kind of feels like uh, the heart of the uh, the forest luring you deeper and deeper. That's uh, yeah, it's I really enjoy that one. I think Onslaught overall is uh, very beautiful. Uh, they really nailed it, also with the fetches and everything. Just fantastic. I quite agree. So, which are your choices? Uh, my choices. The first one is uh, nostalgic. Uh, when I started playing, uh, my first set of magic cards that I ever got was from my dad during Ursa Saga. And I played, a, like everyone else, a green deck <laughs> as their first one. How many copies of Force of Nature? I don't think I had one. I think I played the, what's the, Argothian Worm or something. I, I don't know. It's like the first 50 matches I ever played was not matches. They were just how we think the game works. And I used to play with a couple of friends, one who had a Sarah Avatar deck, which was broken. I mean, so big. <laughs> the the creature, how do you get past that? But yeah, so I, I started playing around this time. And a lot of forests at that time looked very mystical. It looked like they had some sort of magic in them. Almost like if we go back to the Haldir and uh, Lord of the Rings... Uh, type of uh, world building this kind of looks like uh, is it mirkwood where the ants live i, I think so. i'm not uh, yeah this this just looks like a forest that lives and uh, has a mind of its own and it's version uh three for eight in ursa saga that i picked all of them are fantastic but it looks really magical when i think about high high fantasy i tend to think of elves not as living in you know giant castles or stuff like that just in places we don't see like they're hiding in plain sight and the forest is not in plain sight but this gives off the feel that you're looking at more than you're taking in you're seeing more things than your brain registers and this this uh, ursa saga uh, land is just beautiful the second one is Eurolands, and it's uh, the germany one i just think it's super beautiful when i see this uh, I played this in, in my Lance deck for a long time. Uh, I, I used to play Lance quite a bit uh, for a while. And it always gave me a sense of, uh, what's a good word, you know, um, calm. And Elves is anything but that, but not the essence of the deck. It's been around in different shapes or forms for so long. It's not going anywhere. When you come back in 50 years, that small waterfall in the land is still going to be there. So these are my picks. What do you think, Victor? No, I love them, especially the Euroland. I mean, Eurolands in general are just such a fantastic cycle of lands. One sometimes wonders if they, why they haven't done them as a secret lair or something, because they would just... It's like printing money, really. <laughs> I, I would buy those, even though I usually play better basics. Because, I mean, this land is just beautiful. And it, I think it really goes, it goes, it's not only a beautiful land, but this is like really an elves type of forest card. And that's why, what I like about this pick is that you can't just put any beautiful land in this deck. You want to put an elves forest in this deck, not a force of nature forest. <laughs> I put on my, my journalist hat and I went out and I asked some, some random elves player in our community, uh, magic card market winner, Linus Valdemarsson. Um, who is um, a very efficient, very strong Elves player. 
Uh, he actually managed to take down the Magic Card of Arcid event. I can't remember what year. We asked him, what forests should we look at? What what are what is your flavor? And uh, Victor was uh, quite on the quite on the what can you say on the right track. So can you tell us about the the one that he agreed with you on? Yeah, he agreed with me on the uh, John Avon onslaught number three forty nine. It's on his list as well as sort of uh, honorable mentions. Primarily, he goes for Arena League version four because as I understand he has a fully foiled elf stack and that's a way to put beta land art uh, in foil but again honorable mention John Avonland from Onslaught that I chose and also the Tempest version 347 yeah and I think that's kind of funny because we talked about this artist quite a bit earlier and it's uh, Douglas Schuler again Douglas Schuler again yeah here here we go but it's uh, it's the one with uh, it looks like you're standing in a what's the what's the English word for it meadow maybe it's it's a small uh, you're in the forest and you're seeing all of this really thick uh, trees you know you can't really see into the forest because it's so dense of trees and it looks like some sort of strong current or northern lights or something is uh, happening uh, above the the trees could be some sort of magic going on but it's it's very pretty. Um, I played it quite a bit during Tempest, and one of my favorite enchantments is from there. So, I uh, I really enjoy this this forest. So, thanks for the input, Linus. Christopher, two days before this recording, D&D Adventures in the Forgotten Realms appeared on Magic Online and on Arena. Were you prepared for this set? Did you know about this set? No. No. <laughs> no. no. A lot of people in my, in, my, in my feeds were just like, wait, what? this set is out? We saw these weird spoilers like a couple of weeks ago when they had these sort of, uh, the full art is like, sort of covers of old D&D books and, you know, blah, blah. And then now it's just here. I was so surprised. Like, how did this come about? One of my friends just uh, sent a 5.0 list. And I was just, how can this be 5.0? We're in spoiler season? But no, spoiler season is over and the set is online. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. But then again, of course, first things first. Are you a D&D player? No, I've played very little... Um, of these types of game, um, but I I have played it, but I'm not the D and D player. No, for, for me I must say this is all a bit ironic uh, because I mean Magic the Gathering was, as I understand it, created to pass downtime between D and D games at sort of conventions and stuff, and now this has really come full circle where D and D becomes the pastime of itself. It's like I heard you like Dragons and Dungeons, so I put some Dragons and Dungeons in your magic decks. So you can play Dragons and Dungeons while you play Dragons and Dungeons. Here we go. But growing up in Sweden, I must say, we played our national version of fantasy tabletop roleplay gaming, which is called Dragons and Demons in the translation. It's, it's 
basically the same thing, uh, except there is uh, there are some huge differences in rules. Uh, we have d20s in Sweden as well, but when you roll a d20, a 20 is the worst, and a critical hit is rolling one. And that's all, of course, very confusing. But other than that, you could just do stupendously overpowered things with your character after a while in the version that I played at least. Um, coming of age, I sort of moved from uh, Dragons and Demons into live-action roleplay, LARP. Uh, more specifically, the strand that's called Nordic LARP, which is um, a way of LARPing that's famous for being sort of about complex and depressing things, societal issues that stuff and the ultra version uh, being Finnish LARP or sometimes Russian LARP which is basically you play single play LARP alone in a wardrobe with uh, no lights. I have so many questions but uh, none which I wish to ask. (laughs) They will come in some kind of bonus episode at some point in this podcast perhaps when we reach 20 episodes or something but i mean also i mean D adventures in the forgotten realms i've looked at this set and i feel it really captures that sort of sense of being super overpowered and in some sense rather silly and i, I looked at some of these cards there are these dragons uh, one of them is called he's it's a black dragon and it's called even death and i'm like that's the best name you can come up from this guy like we've come a long way from proper villains i mean you have skithrix the blight dragon that's scary Eben Death sounds like something, you know, a 12, 13 year old dungeon master cooks up and they're really proud of that. But, you know, adults made this game. Uh, I'm not sure. But then again, enough boomer talk from me. Christopher, what cards from this set will you brew in your decks? Being an Alluren player, the first card that truly caught my eyes and that I received 10 plus messages from different people <laughs> was regarding the. Azurak the Arklich and uh, yeah I don't really think that constitutes as me brewing if I would talk about what I would brew with because uh, the interaction with Alurum was picked up incredibly fast and you know it's uh, it's kind of like Dragon Rage Chandler in your Delver deck but uh, this card in Alurum it's yeah it's it's probably one of the few shells uh, if not the only where it would really go in sure you can put it in your omniscience deck or in your food chain deck but there are better cards for those decks this might be slightly better uh, depending on the build than some of the configurations that i've tried and played but overall uh, i've already seen you know since it's already online apparently they said I've already seen a 5-0 list featuring a full playset of this in the 75, playing Living Wishes and Veteran Explorers and all of that stuff, and just having Uro and Grist as a plan B. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really not going to talk about this card as a brewery card, because I'm going to slot one in my bug one, uh, or play the full playset, we'll see, but it's a... Uh, it's not really that much of a brew. It's just like a really, yeah, this is a card that goes in the deck really good. So the first card that I'm going to talk about is extremely unplayable in Legacy. <laughs> and when I saw this in the spoiler season, I was like, there's no way this is going to go into a, a true Legacy deck. And I hold true to that. And I'm going to play it anyways. So I'm going to try it out. So it's uh, Tiamat. And Tiamat is a legendary creature dragon god that costs two and verb, which is one of each color. And yeah, 
I will of course force this in a pseudo five color natural order deck because this is a fun target. I mean, is it strong? No. Is it maybe a Nick fit, good in Nick fit kind of meme, perhaps? Um, but when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you may search your library for five. And you heard me right, five different dragon cards and just put them in your hand. Chugga, 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 choo, choo. Yeah, it's like, how big is your hand? I got five fingers. Yeah, get five dragons. It's a perfect deal, fits like a glove. And you know what cards this deck could feature? You know, any from the top of your mind, Victor, what's some banger dragon cards? I mean, the only dragon card on top of my mind is Ebon Death. <laughs> <laughs> what about Skitterix? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, of course I'm going to jam uh, Ebon Death. Uh, or what it's no, called. but Niv Miss It. Yeah, Niv Miss It, the, uh, the five-color one. Of course, it's a five-color. You have to have, oh my god, this fits right in. Yeah, so maybe Arcadis the strategist from M19. It's a quite sweet dragon. I'm not gonna tell you everyone what it does because I'm not entirely sure myself. So rather than speculating on what Arcadis might look like, I'm just gonna force this deck and rock that incredibly promising 0-4 record and wear it like a badge. Uh, later. I think your Ursa opponents are going to feel sort of slightly embarrassed. Yeah, they're going to feel pretty happy about it. They're they're going to echo me and uh, then laugh and just be like, you play a meme deck and you should be ashamed. Yeah, you know, I once I have a friend who who once played uh, guitar in a death metal band called Tiamat. Oh, were they a Dungeons and Dragons band? I'll ask. So we'll get some journalist uh, Victor going out on adventure checking out if Tiamat was a Dungeons and Dragons cover band, if that's a thing. However, the second card that I picked out is a bit of a win more card uh, for the deck that I'm going to try it in. And it's, <laughs> exactly uh, <laughs> what you need, more win yeah, more like, cards. Yeah, I, I love win more. If I can do something when my opponent goes, that's incredibly unnecessary in this stage. I, I, I'm all for that. I live for that. So... It's an artifact land called the Treasure Vault from the latest set that either taps for a colorless mana, which is perfect for the deck that I'm going to put it in, or for the cost of XX, can tap and sacrifice itself to create X treasure tokens. So from time to time, I enjoy playing some colorless stacks. It's uh, either with close to zero wing cons or with creatures such as Lodestone Golem, you know, just trying to lock them out hard but i don't want to win the game too fast so i'm really in the camp of you know playing your metal workers and getting all of the lock pieces getting the hard lock in the game really quick and then attacking them for one for 20 turns uh, i'm i'm all for that the deck that i've played with the metal worker it's trying to present all of these must answer threats you know all of the artifacts, you know, turn one Trinisphere. Okay, what happens if I don't answer this? Is a smokestack going to return and the first sacrifice is going to happen before I have my third land? It's playing a lot of those cards and it's also playing the full playset of Crucible of Worlds. And that's where I think that the Treasure Vault might be really sweet because, sure, you're, you're already on the Crucible plan. Uh, if you have a smokestack, you're already sacrificing something that you can bring back. But 
in some games, you have to pick up your smokestack to higher numbers than one. And this is where I can see this just come into play. If you have a lot of mana, just make free tokens and be on parity with your smokestack. It's a very corner case scenario, and I'm going to make sure it happens to Victor or Robin. I promise it will happen to one of you two. When I did research for you know what cards I wanted to look at in this set, I was very happy to see that a lot of a lot of the cards does not seem to be too impactful on Legacy. Uh, I'm not sure if even the Alluring creature is going to be that impactful, but it was really nice to see because it's been quite a while since I felt it to this extent that you know once every set zero to two cards can be tried for legacy and lately it's been like what two to three upgrades will the deck get so yeah those were my picks i mean i agree strongly with you and i've tried to i tried to sort of seriously find cards that i wanted to put in any deck that i have and i have uh, as many others have said this could be a card in legacy uh, i have portable hole which is uh, an artifact for white uh, that reads when portable hole enters the battlefield exile target non-land permanent under opponent controls with mana value two or less until portable hole leaves the battlefield like i don't see the need sort of what permanents with mana value two or less that you don't get with your current package are you getting with this but i mean it's still it's sort of it might have some uses my other choice for a card however is swamp number 272 <laughs> That's very spicy. Uh, what made you? What deck is this gonna go into? No, this is the thing is the basic lounge in in this set, and I really want to commend uh, Watsi for this. I mean, I've been hating on this set now for ten minutes. So uh, they finally printed basic lands with flavor text, and the flavor text of this card reads: "As you trudge through the sewers of Baldur's Gate, and it dawns on you, where are all the rats?" And I'll be like, "Yeah." Indeed, where are all the rats? Uh, so I'm going to put this in whichever whichever sort of reanimator deck that I have a pack rat package in the sideboard. So my opponent sort of, if they know the card, they will know what's coming. And I'm going to give them then points for sort of being aware of that I'm putting Swamp 272 into play. And after sideboard, there are going to be pack rats in the deck. Yeah, that's nice. You should also put in one of the rat ninjas from Kamigawa. There are some pretty nasty rat ninjas, I think. Rat ninjas also feel very sort of I'm 13 and playing Dungeons and Dragons and be like, I'm going to be a rat ninja. It's perfect. You know, us boomers can feel young again. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to buy a playset of the most sort of ridiculously outfoiled uh, version of, of uh, Ebon Death and... Uh, go to town and feel young again. Potions Master, one in every dungeon, but your dungeon is the deepest. It's high time we sample the brew from the apothecary. Did I smell spice on the way here? Is it hot? Victor, it's hot. <laughs> you know, I've prepared a deck 
that's just a bit all over the place. And it's not playing anything particularly spicy, but the combination of cards are doing something extremely funny. So the goal of the deck is to be very frustrating to the opponent, uh, while also being able to fight a variety of different matchups and decks. So this deck is trying to use Lavinia, Azorius Renegade, and Teferi Time Rattler as efficiently as possible. It's playing two Lavinia, two Snapcaster, two Monastery Mentor, three Spell Queller, one Spell Seeker, four Brainstorm, one Ephemerate, one Personal Tutor, four Ponder, two Prismatic Ending, two Suspend, which is a new card from Modern Horizons, which is the new swords to plowshares during spoiler season for some people. It has a lot of the really wacky interaction that I love and I'm gonna talk briefly about. But then of course it's playing the actual four swords to plowshares as well because we need real removal. And one entreat the angels, two force negation, three teferi time raveler, four force of will, two terminus, and then twenty lands. You find 10 fetches where 4 is prismatic endings, no, prismatic vistas. Too many prismatics, Victor. And then 4 normal islands, 2 tundra, 2 volcanic, and 2 planes. The sideboard is packed with 2 hull breachers, 1 flush to storm, the third ending, 2 power blast, 1 reb, uh, 2 surgical extraction, 2 disenchant, 2 blood moon, 1 supreme verdict, and a spicy mountain. By Douglas Schuller. Yeah, by Douglas Schuller, of, of course. By Douglas Schuller. I wouldn't dream about uh, picking another artist for my for my lands. But yeah, like I mentioned, when you have a Teferi or Lavinia in play, uh, there are certain rules, rule interactions that are quite interesting. If you have a Lavinia, your opponent's spells get countered if they don't pay any mana to cast them, which is very fun with a card like Spell Queller or Suspend. Uh, spell Queller uh, exiling a spell that costs four less on the stack until it leaves the battlefield. So if you have either Teferi or Lavinia in play, when Spell Queller gets removed, they don't get that spell. It either gets countered or just stays in exile because Teferi won't allow them to play anything outside of their, uh, yeah, outside of their main phase. Pretty much. And the same goes for the suspend spell. It puts uh, it puts a creature in exile with two time counters on them uh, with suspend, uh, which means if you've played against some shardless deck, uh, suspend is each upkeep they remove a time counter, and when it has zero time counters on it, you can play it without casting its mana cost, which is pretty good if you have a Lavinia in play or a Teferi because they can't cast spells in their upkeep. So. The idea, you know, if you've managed to stick a Lavinia or Teferi in play and just spell queller the next spell that they want to play, bouncing that spell queller with your own Teferi is quite good the turn after. You know, just their card is permanently gone and you get a spell queller back and draw a card. Uh, this deck is a very defensive deck for now. It's playing spell seekers to find cards such as Ephemerate which is really nasty if you have the Teferi, Spellqueller combo, or Spellqueller Lavinia. Just instant speed, the deck that, I, that is Exile is gone now. And you get to do the same thing to their next card. 
personal tutor that can just set up terminus or entreat if you're in a bad situation. It's quite good. I mean, the spell seeker can just find a prismatic ending also, which is uh, just such a good card when when instants and sorcery spells become stronger for less mana, cards like Spellseeker just becomes so much better, even though it's just a 1-1 for free. So yeah, the deck that I've brewed up for this session is this blue-white shell. I haven't tried it yet, and I'm quite skeptical towards the Monastery Mentors. Uh, I just thought that they could go in there for now. They can steal games, they're pretty good at that. But, you know, this deck plays a lot of instants or sorceries, so a deck where you can just jam a mentor that might not be what your original game plan is about, might just have some extra value. So it's, it's quite different from what I usually play, but it seemed like a very fun time to just, you're not going to cast your spell for free that I, yeah, like you expected to. Uh, the spell queller effect. No, it's one-sided. It's it's gone. <laughs> it's kind of like that South Park uh, meme when they put money in the bank, and it's gone. And that's the deck, blue white, and it's gone. So yeah, do you have any thoughts on this, Victor? I mean, this is as much galaxy brain as it gets. Uh, I, I I completely love this. This is beautiful. I have one suggestion that could make it even more sort of further away into the galaxy. <laughs> Um, and that would be to add restoration engine because imagine blink having a spell queller in play and a teferi in play and blinking your spell queller when they cast a spell yeah that would be pretty nasty and it also has some pretty nice interaction with uh, spell seeker and snapcast image um, which might be might be a fun time Maybe maybe those mentors are too tryhardy, and uh, maybe it should be one restoration angel, one Jace the Mind Sculptor, or something. Or yeah, maybe yeah. Just... Because a restoration here would not at all be try, not be tryhard at all. That would be just very very reasonable addition to this tag. Well, but I mean, this is this is great. This is um, I think you've outdone yourself with this one. Yeah. And yeah, I I really don't play white decks normally. The affinity. And the blue-white standstill from the week before, it's a stretch for me. I i had to drink my poison to learn these white decks, but I stay away from that crap. Well, listeners, that's all we have for this week. Uh, we do hope you enjoyed our time with us. Uh, if you did, please uh, consider to recommend this podcast to a friend of yours so that you can reach more with our insightful uh, Ebonde Folk. If someone wants to reach out to us personally, Christopher, where can we be found? You can find me on Twitter at uh, monolithmtg. And you can find me on Twitter as well at Disco Drogo. And that concludes the eighth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. Thank you, Christopher Rickstrom. My name is Victor Bernhards. Our amazing music is written by Frönes. You can check them out on Spotify. Until next time, people, practice your die rolls. <laughs> <laughs>